Welcome to episode 123 of Radio 815, the podcast dedicated to examining the work of writer director J.J. Abrams, as well as his creator, Bad Robot Universe. I'm your host for this week, joined as always by my fellow co-host, Matt Crandall. And on today's episode, and on today's edition of the show, we'll be discussing Fringe Season 4, episodes 20 and 21. First up in that batch is the episode entitled worlds apart so matt i would just tell you this always remember to look up and hopefully there's not a world ending earthquake happening when you do that because in worlds apart we are really ramping up the end game of this season with david robert jones's plan to collapse the universes really going into effect as we see the fannies the cortexa fan kids are back all around the world with these rocketeer-like watches that are counting down to an event. And when it happens, terrible earthquakes are rocking the world. And Team Fringe has to figure out how they can stop this collapsing of universes that would be catastrophically bad for both universes and basically destroy them and only leave a small, like, safe zone that David Robert Jones presumably wants to be the king of. And... We've got to figure out who is doing this, who's helping him. And as we go along, we realize it is the Cortexa fan kids and familiar face Nick Lane shows back up as one of the main bad guys who thinks that he's actually doing good. So I like that as this story goes along, we find out that David Robert Jones has been brainwashing these people to think that this is the war they were meant to fight and that they're on team good and team fringe is in a race against the clock to let these people know you are on the wrong side of history and what you are doing is actually super fucked up and not good at all. And I liked that aspect. And especially we also remix a little bit because we knew Nick Lane in previous episodes as an empath, super empath. And I liked that in this remix, he's a reverse empath who can actually project his feelings onto others rather than just strongly feeling the feelings of others. Yeah, I, I really love this episode. And the thing that I really loved about it the most, the, the thing that really worked for me, is I've said in past episodes and in past weeks that ever since we've had the opportunity to go into the alt-universe and see other versions of ourselves, I was really upset. Well, I wasn't upset. That's the wrong word. I was disappointed that we didn't get that many scenes with our version of Walter and Walter Net from... The other universe. So in this episode, I was really, really happy to see that they had some interaction. And I really, really liked the opening sequence where Walter goes and he basically does a briefing for the other side. And he basically lays out Jones's overall plan and what he wants to do. And I love the fact that most of the people from the other side, most notably Broyles and most notably, uh, uh, you know, for Olivia are questioning our Walter's theory that Joan that Jones wants to collapse this you know you know this version of this reality to create a brand new one and I love that the person that comes to his aid is Walternet because in seasons past Walternet wouldn't have done that Walternet would have tried to kill everybody so I really love that a guy that we have seen a lot of that has primarily been a villain is now an ally of another version of himself. So I really enjoyed that angle to this episode. It was one of the best angles because basically right off the bat, 
both fringe teams from both sides have come together to try and stop this because it's going to be bad for both universes. And if they collapse and synchronize, you know, we don't know who will remain, who will be in the safe zone, what will then happen and all the cataclysmic stuff that will ripple from that. So them racing against time and banding together is some of the nice thing. And also we get a lot of moments between the doubles, Olivia and faux Olivia, Walter and Walternate that are really nice and small things where, you know, our Olivia has had a grudge against faux Olivia, even in this remix timeline, because she did impersonate her for a while. But they have a couple quiet moments where she says, Faux Olivia gets to say, you know, I really miss the rain. I miss rainbows. I'm only happy when it rains and we don't get that stuff anymore. So it's really going to suck if they realize that one of the ways that they could possibly stop his plan is to use the machine to shut down the bridge between universes. But the consequences of this action are twofold. One, obviously people won't be able to cross between the universes because the bridge will be gone permanently gone. And the other thing is that since the bridge has been built between the universes, universe B has been healing. So it was torn apart. They've had lots of amber incidents previous that the universe itself has been deteriorated, but because of its link with our universe, it is starting to equalize. And so that's the reason they don't want to just take this extreme course of action, destroying the bridge, because Universe B won't be able to heal to completion. It'll be what it is. And that's why Folivia laments, you know, I would love to see a rainbow again because we don't have them anymore. And if we destroy this bridge, we're never going to have them in my universe. And so I liked that humanizing of both the Olivias together. We constantly are reminded that Lincoln does not feel at home in our universe before the big climax comes. We get a lot of hints of Lincoln really feeling uneasy and off kilter, knowing that he might not be able to travel between both universes. And there's a lot of talk about what is your home? Where are you meant to be? And I thought that was really nice and worked really well. And then, of course, they realize as they try and get Nick Lane to help them and they think he has switched sides and he has seen their their way. And of course, it's a it's a bluff. He still thinks that he's on the right side and evil. And he does not actually help them stop this impending doom. So in the final act, they realize we have to destroy the bridge. It's the only way that we can slow down this. So we're going to have to use the machine and the universes will have to be separate. And we're sorry, universe B, but unless you want to be destroyed, we got to do this. So I love that decision. What are you thinking as... They basically realize they have no more options and they have to take the nuclear option. I really like that. I really liked that for all intents and purposes, the writers didn't give didn't give our our fringe team a magic pill to fix this 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 cataclysmic end of both worlds situation here. Because for the most part in modern media, the good people always win. And although this situation isn't good triumphing over evil per se this is a situation where both both good both good entities in this example lose and they lose because they have to because they don't have any other options so i really like 
that the uh, the writers of this episode gave this situation a lot of weight by saying, we're not going to give you guys a magic pill this time. If you guys really, really want to fix this, the way to fix this is going to cost you a lot. And you also might lose something that you just fi- that you also might lose something or someone that you've learned to love and really care about. So the tension of them making the choice that they have to break the bridge to stop something worse from happening worked really well because the, the, the fringe writer says, said this time there's going to be consequences and we are going to, we are going to back our characters. We're going to back our characters into a corner and we're not going to, we're not going to give them any other options. So I really enjoyed that. The one thing though, that really pissed me off about this episode had nothing to do with this episode last week, last week, the 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 second episode we talked about was a was a was an episode that thrust us into the future and me and Matt had a lot to say about that episode but I hated the fact that they did that cuz I was like why the I, look we we talked about it and Matt gave a, a really really compelling reason as to why they did it but I was like as a, as a fan of the show I was like dude that just threw me off if you wanted to do that there's so if you want to do that episode, there's so many ways that you could have organically sort of let sort of sort of put hats on the ground to lead up to that reality. But the way that they structured it, it specifically with this episode, it seems so out of whack and it just annoyed the shit out of me again. It had nothing to do with this great episode, but I, I just wanted to get your take on that. Well, I think you're right that part of the thing it it did that was not great is that the last two acts of this episode, there is a real concern that when they take this bridge away, that Peter might disappear. But we know that that's not going to happen because in 2015, Peter and Olivia and Team Fringe are frozen in amber in this universe. So Peter isn't going to disappear because he survives this event to be in that future episode when we found out that in 2023 or whatever, he was unfrozen from the amber. So there's a lot of talking where they're like, oh, if we shut this down, like everything needs to be in its right place. And what if Peter's right place is nowhere and he disappears again? Well, because last week I knew that wasn't going to happen. But if that episode was held until later, then maybe I would have actually thought that was a real possibility. So it really undercut the tension of the last quarter of this episode because they kept building up to this moment, like what's going to happen to Peter? But if we were awake last week, we knew nothing was going to happen to Peter. (laughs) So I think that was kind of weird. And it also just now that we realize that that future episode was a standalone that was doing something completely different. It makes you wonder, like its placement in the season before these final three episodes was just a little awkward. Yeah, it was just it was just so weird. It's like it's like the fringe writers had this great lead up to this story of 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 giving both both versions of our fringe team this amazing option. But it was like halfway through, they were like, you know what? Let's take a break from the amazing story that we're kind of constructing here. And let's do this. But I'm like, why? why? Like, again, if you wanted to do that, you could have you could have slid it in to your grander story. But the fact that the fact that they did this one episode and they go, oh, let's do this one thing. And then let's just continue with what we're doing from the beginning. I'm like, why would you do that? It was just so odd. So for me, as undercut as that tension is. The two best scenes of this episode do come right near the end. And the first comes after, but I'll talk about it first because it's not as good. The second is the best one of the episode. When Lincoln decides that he's going to go to the other side, he does have a heart to heart with Peter 
where he's like, look, man, I just, it was fun working with you, but I realized this is not my place. And Peter kind of puts two and two together. He looks over at Olivia. He looks at Lincoln. He's like, I get it, man. Like, go with God. Godspeed shakes his hand. And I liked that, you know, there was no pushback on that, realizing that this guy has struggled to find his place since Peter came back and really upset the balance. It was a nice moment, especially because it feels like this could be the last time we ever see Lincoln. This could be the end of Seth Gable's character on the show. So I thought that scene was a really nice send off if it is the last time we see him. The best scene of the episode, though, is the two Walters. Walter and Walternet have a heart to heart in a hallway where they sit down on the ground. And after all the shit they have been through, you know, John Noble gets to really shine because Walternet is still a little bit cold, a little bit calculated, whereas our Walter is more emotional, a little bit scatterbrained, shook up. They basically decide Walter can literally forgive himself in this moment for all the stuff that has happened because Walter says, look, I know that we, we both lost things, but in this moment now, my son is here. And look at the great man he has become. Even though all of this shit has happened, the fact that I had any of this time with Peter is kind of worth it. You have been instrumental in bringing him this far. And I really liked this moment between the two Walters that is filmed in a way that we don't have to break the budget with the special effects. And it's kind of, you know, parent trapping where we can tell like most of the frame is just one of the Walters hands on the other's knee or something. So we can tell somebody is there not a lot of two shots, but Noble really gets to cook in these moments in two very distinct flavors as the two Walters literally forgive themselves and each other in this moment that was really touching before we shut off the machine and realize that Peter is here to stay. You saying something about Lincoln as positive? No, 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 no. I like you. I thought that this episode did a great job of giving one of my favorite sub characters that have shown up over the last little bit, Lincoln, some much needed to do closure. And I really love the fact that, like you said, that that final moment between Lincoln and Peter wasn't stressful. It wasn't combative. It was just, you know, I get it, man. You know, go with God. Go with the girl that you love or another version of the girl that I love. I just I just found that to be really, really kind and sweet. And I, and I am happy that, in a way, Lincoln got his happy ending and he got the girl that he wanted all you know you know since the beginning although it's not exactly the girl that he wanted but it's the girl that he wanted but just another version of her you mentioned the dual scenes between the two walters i really really love that i really love that moment because i feel that this moment has been building up since season one and i'm i'm really happy the way that the writers constructed it in in such a way where walter got the closure that he needed. He got the forgiveness that he needed. But the cool thing is he got the forgiveness and the closure he needed, not from somebody else, but from himself. I'm like, that is cool. That is really, really cool. That is such an interesting way to do, to, to forgive a character or for, or for a character to forgive digressions that he's done in the past. I don't think that, that the fringe writers could have done it any better um, than than what they did. I, I I just thought it was absolutely wonderful the way that they did that. Yeah, truly, truly great stuff. 
we move on to the final episode that we are going to talk about this week. The episode is entitled Brave New World Part 1. So, Matt, um, it's nice to see you again, old friend. And we see more, more than one old friend if you're a fan of bad robot shows because not Penny's boat, Charlotte is here in the opening scene as a victim of this attack that causes people to basically spontaneously combust from the inside. We are done with the car commercials, but we do have a Sprint mobile pay ad right off the top where a dude pays for a coffee with his phone as if it's like some incredible thing. And we get a very tight shot of the Sprint phone. And then later they show it to us again in close up. And they're like, what happened? They're like, he paid with his phone. They're like, oh my God, what incredible Sprint technology. Okay, I hope that they cash those checks right away because I don't think that those are going to be paying dividends all these years later. Cool opening where it seems like this is going to be a mystery of the week episode. But of course, as they investigate what happened to all these people, the people around them are like, don't move. It's movement that causes you to die. They all have to play the worst game of freeze, red light, green light. And they're standing there as Team Fringe comes to investigate and they deduce that there were nanites planted on this escalator that these nanites are causing this reaction. And of course, who would be up to some nanite weird shit? It's David Robert Jones. But before we even get far into the episode, we find out finally who David Robert Jones has actually been working for this entire time, which is that son of a bitch. And luckily they still got him. They got him to come back. Leonard Nimoy as William Bell. And finding out that Belly is behind this whole universe destruction plan was pretty great because I don't think a lot of us suspected it. Or certainly if you did, bravo to you. I thought it was a great turn that really added up a lot of checkboxes like, oh, okay, then that's why Jones and Nina and all this stuff is because a version of Bell is is the main guy at the top. Yeah, I did. I did not see it coming at all because I, I, I completely forgot that the, the puppet master behind Jones and every and all this crazy movement that we've been dealing with for uh, this season was an alternate version of William Bell. And I was like, you know what? This tracks. And you know why it tracks? Because our version of William Bell, who died, he always see. Here's the thing. Here's the thing with brilliant people. Brilliant people who do wonderful things always have that 1% chance of going crazy and going nuts and going completely against what they are currently doing in our reality. So it was really nice to see what an evil version of William Bell would be like. And I absolutely love uh, Walter's reaction when he figures out who it is. And he, and, he, and he confronts Nina and he, and, he, and he goes into this whole spiel about how, of how Jones is too dumb to build the nanites. And he also says, I would know Belly's work anywhere, that contemptible son of a bitch. I absolutely love that. Because for the most part, even with our William Bell, or even, even, even with the good William Bell, I always felt that William Bell... He really didn't take on the the weight of the experiments that he that he did ages ago with Walter and Master Dynamic. The only person that really suffered and lost everything was Walter. So I really like that even 
you know, that, that even though it's not our William Bell, that Walter sort of had that opportunity to say, you contemptible son of a bitch, how dare you? I'm going to, I'm going to stop you this time and I'm going to get you. So I really, really enjoyed that dynamic that we got in this episode. The other thing that I enjoyed is I, I thought that the, the, the whole nanite special effect where the people would start walking and then they would freeze from the inside out. I thought that was very, very cool. Um, and I thought that was a really, 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 really cool case case of the week that they sort of wrapped up into the grand plan that we've been getting this whole season. Yeah, it was a nice way to do it fairly quickly. And as you said, Walter realizes that Jones isn't sophisticated enough to make these nanites. It had to be William Bell. And we find out that in this timeline, William Bell committed suicide in a car accident in 2005. And Nina says it was because he had lymphoma and was going to die anyway. And Walter says that can't, I I'm realizing now that can't be true because when I was in St. Clair's, I'm pretty sure he came and visited me after that. And Nina's like, well, that can't be right. You you're off your rocker. He's dead. And so they go back to St. Clair's. There's a moment that really shakes up Walter where a janitor is like, ah, Dr. Bishop, just visiting? Or are you about to be checked back in, you nuts son of a bitch? And like, that makes me so pissed off. But it shakes Walter up. And then he has a meeting with the new head of St. Clair's, who is not William Sadler from Bill and Ted. It is actually John Noble's daughter, Samantha Noble, who gets in on the fringe action in case this is the last episodes of Fringe ever, John Noble's daughter shows up and they have a conversation where she says, like, I'm not sure. And he looks into some files, but it basically seemed like just a a way for us to have Walter visit the site of his main trauma, get a little shaken up, but then move on from there and give his daughter a cameo in a show that he has spent four years toiling away on. And even as they're leaving the room, he gives her a compliment saying, just so you know, you're way prettier than your predecessor. And I'm like, oh, this is just a proud dad who got his daughter a job. And, uh, you know, we're not going to get into some Nepo baby discourse. But that moment was actually nice knowing that that woman is actually John Noble's daughter. And then they realize, OK, Bell is doing something nefarious and he's got his floating menagerie of all of the creatures on this ship. And they've got to track him down to get there. But there's a great scene where David Robert Jones and William Bell have a talk on the on the ship. And Bell says, you know, I've been playing chess for 40 years. And the way to win the game is to sacrifice your bishop. So we've got to do these next steps. And there's going to be some losses, but it's going to be worth it. And Jones is like, hell yeah, let's do it, boss. This is great. And I love that in the final moments of Jones on this show... Jones does get killed, and as he's deteriorating into ash and melting away, he realizes that he is the bishop who must be sacrificed. Not a literal bishop, not a Walter bishop, not a Peter bishop, but a bishop in chess. And seeing Jones get his comeuppance was really satisfying, even if now we have another big bad above him that we've got to be worried about. That was absolutely wonderful, and and I'm so glad that you brought it up because the second that that um that William Bell said that, or this version of William Bell, or evil William Bell, that's what I'm going to call him, evil William Bell said that there are big moments coming up, but a bishop has to be sacrificed. I immediately thought that he was talking about Walter. I I, I was like, he's either he's either going to find a way to kill Walter or capture Walter. So I was very very pleased that 
essentially the, the the writers of this episode, which are the big hitters, uh, Jay Twyman, Pickman, and um, and Akiba Goldsman. I really like that. I really like that. Essentially, they gave us a rope a dope in that moment. They 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 gave us one thing, but you know, ultimately, they wanted to give us something else. I I would like to just really highlight really quickly here. The moment when Walter goes back to St. Clair's and he's confronted by that awful, awful janitor, there's a really great moment after 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 Walter sort of shakes it off and Peter comes out to the hallway to get Walter to escort him into the office to meet the administrator, which is a.k.a. his daughter, which I didn't know that. That's cool. Peter notices that something is off with Walter and he just looks at this fucking janitor and the look on his face is like, Motherfucker, what did you tell my father? I'm going to kill you. I love that moment. It's a, it's a really small moment. And, and Joshua Jackson didn't have to do that. But the, but the fact that he did was awesome. You mentioned the closing sequence in this episode where, you know, Walter tracks down where, where William Bell can possibly be. And it's on, it's on a dock with a bunch of shipping containers where William has all his stuff, right? I really love that Astrid got something to do that was actually related. And I really love that she got a chance to protect Walter and she got a chance to go out there in the field. I didn't love what happened to her, which we'll talk about in a moment, but I really love that she got that moment because I, I think it's a, I think, I, I mean, we've seen, we've seen Astrid in the field before, obviously, but we've never really seen her fire a gun before. I was like, this is cool. She was actually shown to be capable because she is an FBI agent. She would have a gun. She would know self-defense. So I I like that all of that was sort of shown in this scene where she tried to protect Walter from a bunch of Williams goons. Yeah, I thought it was great. Jessica Nicole has been exceptional this year, and they've given her a lot more to work with this season than they have in previous years, where even the other side's Astrid being so idiosyncratic and this side's Astrid getting to go on more missions and do more stuff. If you are a supervillain, just get off your high horse and don't do things like import almonds from Chile and that's the only kind of almonds you can eat because it's always going to be your goddamn downfall that like, you know, you only like this particular food or this type of wine that has to be imported because you're some hoity-toity jerk. Just buy off the shelf shit and you're probably going to get away with it. So I, I love how they track down where Bell is through Walter's sense of taste when he's licking the paper and you're like, oh my God. And even Astrid is like, okay, guy. As the big finale ramps up, we get the two great dueling scenes. So Jones meets his ultimate end through Peter and Olivia using her powers. So I like that we're reestablishing that Olivia's cortexafan juicing has worked. She has her telekinesis. She's a badass. She helps Peter dispatch Jones. And then it's Astrid who's smart enough to realize like, because Walter is still a little bit out of his element when they're pushing against these guys. She's like, this guy has a gun, so we got to dial it down a little bit. And Walter keeps pushing, but then they go and they have the big showdown where Astrid does get shot and is on the verge of death as William Bell steps out of the shadows, supervillain style, and is like, ha ha, my nemesis. Yes, it is I. And as Astrid lays there dying, hello, good to see you, old friend, go fuck yourself, is kind of the the note that we end on here at the end of this part one of the two-part finale. And I just remember at the end of this episode, you know, screaming that we had to wait a week to figure out what was going to happen. What were you thinking as Astrid lay there dying? And even though Jones has been defeated, it does feel like Team Fringe is in a pretty bad spot. 
it really feels like a true cliffhanger moment. It really feels, again, like the bad guy has won because Astrid has been shot. And like you said, Jones has Jones has been dispatched and melted, essentially. But the the feeling of dread in the final moments of this episode come from two reasons. It comes from comes from two places. One, William Bell is still alive or a version of William Bell is still alive. We don't know what he's going to do to Walter. And two is the fact that one of our beloved French characters gets shot. It's like, my God, if you're going to like, like if, if one of them has to die, the one that could hurt the least, look, we, we love Astrid here. Matt and I love Astrid, but the one that, the one that is most expendable when you look at our primary cast, it's Astrid. So I'm like, Okay, she's not one. She's not one of our main leads, so we know that you know. So, so there's a sense of real danger here because she's not one of the main leads. And even watching this episode today, I forgot everything where she got shot. And I'm like, I, I'm truly wondering. And guys, I've seen the show a million times, but my memory isn't what it used to be. So, I am truly wondering what the hell is going to happen. And I think the writers did a magnificent job with these two episodes this week in choosing for. for 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 our our fringe team to be backed up against the wall in both of these episodes in the first one and in the second one because they they really did, the the writers did a wonderful job of of ratcheting up the tension to the point of guys next week it's all going to run downhill and 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 I don't know what's going to happen here yeah we do have to wait and see will Astrid survive will William Bell succeed in even though we have severed the universes will he still find a way for his plan to go through and crumble everything back to zero and be the king of the void or whatever the fuck it is so i like that there's a lot of stuff on the table moving forward and we know that somehow unless that future episode was just a what if that we can change somehow stuff has to kind of reach a new status quo by the end of this because if that future episode was just a what if then fine, but we know that somehow Team Fringe has to still be doing their thing somehow when they get trapped in amber a few years from now. So I'm interested to see how they can remedy that with just one hour left in the season. So that should be pretty exciting. And I certainly was happy that we we got a satisfying death for Jones. And now in the last two episodes of our podcast, we've been able to talk about Lost Alums coming back for an episode of Fringe. So I'm always happy when that happens and it's always fun to connect the bad robot dots. So that'll do it for this edition of Radio 815. Listen, guys, if you uh, like the show at all and you like what we have to say uh, and you want to write us a message, either giving us comments, concerns, or whatever, there are multiple ways that you can do that. First, you can just uh, reach us by simply using the hashtag on Twitter, uh, Radio815, or you can reach out to us on Twitter using our personal Twitter account. It's JJUniverse815. Or if you want to speak to me personally, you can reach me on Twitter. I'm at CreekFanatic88. But Matt, if the good folks at home want to reach out to you and talk to you about anything, we'll be the best place to do that on. On Twitter at Matt Crandall. All right, guys. So with that being said, until next time, as I often say, we'll talk back soon. Radio 815 is a Balloonhead Productions presentation in association with Killer Newt Productions.